This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I, I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. The, the, the winds of change are blowing through Raider Nation, and Silver and Black Today keeps you up to date with the latest news and views about your Las Vegas Raiders. Touchdown, Las Vegas! With insights, opinions, and interviews, we're on the cutting edge of what's happening now. Now, now with the latest on your Raiders and the NFL, your host, Scott Goldbranson and Mo Moten. Welcome back. It is time for another Silver and Black Today, an Odyssey original podcast hosted by myself, Scott Branson. Thanks for being with us. And my co-host, Mel Moten. He is the national senior. I say national because he is nationwide, folks. If you don't know about Midtown Mo, you're missing out. I mean, get all the merchandise, sign up for his fan club, do all that. But nonetheless, you can catch him at Bleacher Report, where he writes about the entire NFL. He's also the Raiders columnist. At sportsnot.com. Follow him on x.com at Momoton, M O E M O T O N. I am also an editor writer over at Sportsnot, so Mo and I share that in common. We are teammates there as well, where you can catch my work not only on the Raiders, but the entire NFL, Major League Baseball, the NBA, you name it. I got it. I'm just doing it. So we, there we go. And you can follow me on x.com at LV Gully, the show, SNB today. And before we move on, the most important thing is make sure you subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get your audio, just turn on the auto download and you're ready to go. And for those of you watching us on YouTube, thanks, subscribe and hit the notifications bell. Mo, this is an interesting show for you and I, cause it's been so long since there's been so many good feelies, feelings around Raider Nation as the Raiders just trounced the Giants 30 to six in Las Vegas, the Josh McDaniels, the exercising of demons, as I said in my story this week, they've begun the first step is always the most difficult, but they've gotten past that first step, and uh, it, it was a different feel for this team. They felt loose, and I want to talk about, we're going to get into the X's and O's stuff, the players, the performances, but I felt it was important for you and I to start here on this Tuesday morning talking about just the significance of this win, because I know most of Raider Nation was happy, all the pundits, all the report, everybody who's covers this team said wow this is a difference and we heard now some of the stories that led up to the dismissal of Josh McDaniels the significance of this win goes beyond to me the win loss or the fact that you beat a poor team you beat a bad team you also lost to bad teams this year um and I know you agree with me on this the significance of this for the men in that locker room moving forward so that they can play to the best of their abilities whatever that is can't be underscored do you agree with that Absolutely, I agree with that. I had a post uh, Sunday night because I saw I knew this was going to happen. I knew people were going to say, "Well, the Giants are two and seven. It's not a big deal. You beat the Giants. Oh, you know, it's not it's not something to celebrate about, right?" Because the Raiders are lighting up cigars after the game, and I'll, and I'll explain the significance of that in a minute. But getting to the whole two and seven thing, just two weeks ago, the Raiders got crushed by the two and seven Bears. Yes. So don't tell me this win doesn't mean anything because everyone, including you and I, were railing on the Raiders for for losing what thirty to twelve yep. to the Chicago Bears, who are two and seven. Not two, just two weeks ago. The fact that two weeks ago you can get crushed by a two and seven team and then do the crushing to a two and seven team two weeks later tells you the difference between a Josh McDaniels coach team and the new energy the Raiders have under Antonio Pierce. Now, quick note about the whole cigars thing. So people saying, oh, you're you're lighting up cigars for beating a two win team, which you know coincides with the point I just made is it's not just about the win. Have you ever been and I and I and I know I hate comparing NFL jobs to regular cubicle office jobs. But have you ever been under stressful management and then management moves on and then you have a breath of fresh air under new management and you just kind of celebrate? You may go out with your buddies or coworkers or whoever, have a drink, have some food, and just kind of celebrate a new beginning, a new chapter. It was said that Antonio Pierce, when he took over, gave a blank sheet of paper to each player and said, new chapter, fresh slate. And I think that's what the cigars kind of embodied. New chapter, new life. Not just the win, but we get to breathe, we get to be free and be ourselves and play like ourselves again. 
Yes. And listen, a couple things. And I, I will I will argue the point with you, though. And I know you're not going to argue against me. I'm just saying I'll argue the point that you just made there. I don't think there's a difference between an NFL locker. That's where these guys go to work. That's their chosen career. And I know people will get lost in that. Well, they make millions of dollars. Poor babies. No, that's not what it is. The amount of time. if if And I'm not saying that people should always understand this. But Mo, you and I know. Okay. I, listen, I worked in college athletics. I worked in professional athletics, including boxing. Okay. I saw what world-class athletes must do on a daily basis, on a monthly basis, on a yearly basis to stay where they are, to make those millions of dollars. It is all encompassing. You spend all your time, all of your time. Yeah. You get a little time off and vacation like everybody else, but even when you're on vacation, you have to stay in peak shape. You have to watch what you do. So these guys put everything into this. They are there all the time. They're around. So imagine that, you know, a regular, a regular man or woman in the United States, let's say they work 40 hours a week. These guys don't work 40 hours a week. They are caught from sunup to sundown. They're in the building. They're working. They're lifting weights. They're going to practice. They're going to games. They're going to meetings. So they work ungodly hours, right? And, and it has a physical toll. So when you're in that environment that much, it's even worse to me than, than you and I, Mo, going in from a, a nine to five perspective, because they're in there from seven to 10. You know, they're in there for 12, 14 hours a day, some of these guys. And, and so imagine you're in that environment and you're trying to keep your edge, to keep your job, to continue to be a professional athlete. And it's constantly toxic. It weighs on you. There's no wonder. And I'm not crowning... The, the Raiders Super Bowl champions. Let's get that straight. I'm just saying that the lightness, that's the word I use, the lightness you saw with this team on Sunday was evident. And I believe that the smoking of cigars, and not just because I'm a cigar smoker, the smoking of cigars afterward was an expression of, okay, this is who we are. Let's celebrate that we can be free to do what we want to do and be, which is be the best athletes we, we can be. We don't have to worry about this despot, this tyrannical kind of culture that was being built around them. So good on them. And for those people that are criticizing it, what do you want? You're criticized when they do the other thing. Now you criticize when you do this. Some people will just never be happy. Yeah, you, you just can't satisfy some people because right. I think part of it is fans are looking at the next thing, okay? Sure. Okay, they beat the Giants two and seven, but does this mean they can sustain it and make a run at the playoffs or have a winning record? And what I say is you got to take it one step at a time because, as you said, you're coming out of a, a regime or a head coaching regime that, to, to me, not to me, but it was clear that it was hindering the players and their abilities. Right. Right. From a from not from a physical perspective, but just from a. I guess a leadership perspective. When you when you're a head coach, you're you have to motivate your players, and it's clear that Josh McDaniels wasn't doing that. Antonio Pierce walks in the door, and automatically, players are are having wrestling, offensive linemen are having wrestling matches. <laughs> Devontae Adams is shooting hoops and hitting Jays. Yeah. You know, so it's 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 kind of like a weight lifted off your shoulders, so to speak. And you hear that expression a lot, and I think that helps in the grand scheme of things. Does it always translate on the field? No, but it translated on Sunday, and I think it's important because you want to build some momentum going into some important games because regardless you know, of what the records are at the end of the season, playing the Jets is going to be pivotal because both teams are going to be vying for a wild card spot. Then you have the Dolphins, I believe, after that, who will be coming off their bye after that game in Germany against the Kansas City Chiefs. And then I think you have the Chiefs after that. So you want to start to build momentum. You want to start to stack some wins before those big games. Right. And that's the thing is there's nothing to say. Again, I'm sticking with my seven wins because mm -hmm. I just haven't, you know, it, to your point about consistency, I made this point on the, on the postgame show, and I'm sure you did too in your, in your Bleacher Report Live, which is it's all about consistency. And it's like, this is a great win. The fans, the players, the organization should enjoy it and they should revel in it. It's a great win for all the reasons we talked about, not just for win-loss record, but because of all the things that have happened. At the same time, you have to be consistent. You have to roll on, and the schedule's tough. I mean, like I said, the Jets are no pushover. Luckily, it's at home, and they're coming off this game, so hopefully they continue. Uh, and in my view, almost, and, and I know we'll talk about this later in the week, in my view, they almost need to win that game because the next two are going to be really, really tough for them. 
So right. you look at that, but you look at also too the significance of some some of the things that happened in this game, because well, yeah, you beat the Giants, and okay, yeah, it's the high from from getting rid of McDaniel's. But some of these stats, man. I mean, you look at this; it's the seventh time the Raiders with uh, had a first half shutout of twenty four to nothing or better. The last time they did that was two thousand one. Okay, so twenty two years ago, the Raiders with a game with zero turnovers, zero sacks allowed. Uh, and, um, they, the last time that happened was 2020 Raiders with eight or more sacks or more sacks than their opponents, which they had eight. And of course, yesterday or Sunday, the, um, uh, the giants had zero. The last time that happened was week seven of 1977. Mo was not even alive then. So <laughs> you, you look at that and you're like, wow, you know, this is, there, there were a lot of numbers that were popping up. Thanks Josh Dubow of AP who everybody Likes to look at his negative stuff, but yesterday or Sunday he had a lot of uh, great stuff about the um, the game. So, so these types of things you, I think are are important, and the unity. The, that's the other thing with the cigar smoking in the locker room. Yes, it looked like that party. Somebody, I think one pundit, national pundit, was like, "Look, these guys look like they won the Super Bowl." No, it's just freedom, and they're enjoying themselves. And right, it is a game. Yes, it's a job, but it's a game. And the important thing too there is when a locker room becomes fractured even when it's the coach's issue which clearly this was it wears on players and players start not getting along okay so and we haven't heard a lot of that because they're going to protect each other there and that's fine we don't need to know but that all of that breeds distrust it breeds contentment across the board with that gone now these guys can get back to believing in one another even the story we heard from jay glazer about mcdaniel's getting mad at antonio pierce for mentioning when they beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl. That's the kind of thing you can't, you don't know. Hunter Renfro walking on eggshells. We all know what that means. You have to tiptoe. When you have to do that around everybody, you're not free to be yourself and to be your best. Can we get into the whole Josh McDaniels and Tina Pierce thing in the next segment? Because I have a lot to say about that. Yeah, let's I don't, because I don't. Well, let's do it. Mo, let's do it in the third segment because we're going to talk about Antonio okay. Pierce. So I think okay. it's perfect to, to lead with that and then we'll talk about it because, okay. um, yeah, we should talk about it. It's it's incredible. Um, and it it really, I mean, I, I haven't liked, I haven't liked Josh McDaniels as a coach for a long time. Going back to last year when we talked, <laughs> no, when we talked about it, right, we talked about coaching malpractice. But we also hit on all season this year about lack of accountability at the press conference. I know it seems, I know a lot of you out there are thinking, who cares press conference? We, you don't watch them, right? Most people out there don't watch them. And so when you that guys talk true. about it, what do you talk? I've had some people say that to me. It was a legitimate question. What do you guys talk about press conferences for? And the reason was you get a, you get insight into the person and what's going on. You listen, if you, words are important. Listen to what people say. They will tell you who they are. And you and I, I know, agreed on that. Josh McDaniels kind of always told us who he was, and we'll we'll visit that too in the third segment. All right, we're going to take our. Go ahead, make your point. What I, what I want to say is, when did we have the celebration police coming out? Like, why why is it? You could do after a win, you could do whatever you want. You won the game. I don't care who you beat. Be a winless team. Be the team that's five and three, an undefeated yeah. team. When you win the football game. Vic, you know, Victory Monday, whatever you want to call it, you could do whatever the f you want. I don't care if you light cigars, you go out and you have, you know, you bang several women. Sorry to our younger viewers listening. I don't care what you're doing to celebrate your win. It, you won the football game. You're a grown man. You could do whatever you want. And I, I don't get the whole celebration, please. Why are they lighting cigars like they won the Super Bowl? This is a team, obviously, that was in a bad place for a, for a while. Right. And there, and again, it goes back to it's just a release, not just a win, but just moving on and starting a new chapter. Yeah, and it's interesting, and and I think this goes for, and and I'm not some of that kind of celebration police thing. It, it's interesting too because we saw it in the media as well. There were some yeah. media members who were who were yeah. going off on the Raiders, and and there is there's some people who just don't like the Raiders. They think it's a joke of an organization, and so they anytime they can make fun of it, they will, and that's that's right. whatever they can do that. But I also know, and Mo, I'm sure you do too, even in my own family, there are people who, who actually feed off and love misery, okay? They like to be miserable, and when things go well, it makes them uncomfortable because then they can't complain. So what they have to do is then complain about whatever 
presents itself for them to complain about. <laughs> so some of these pundits complaining about the guys celebrating in the locker room were the same guys last week just hammering the Raiders for being a joke and that Josh McDaniels was the worst coach ever. So then they change it. They have a great result. They celebrate and they're wrong for doing that. So to your point, you can't please everybody. And some people, you could give them everything they want in the world and they still won't be happy. So that's it. But that's not us. And that's not the Raiders clearly right now. We're going to take our break when we come back here on the Tuesday edition of Silver and Black today. We're going to talk a little bit about the performance during the game, followed by we'll end the show talking about Antonio Pierce. We'll get into the Jay Glazer report from Sunday. All that jazz coming here with Mo and Scott on Silver and Black today. Don't go anywhere. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to Silver and Black Today at Odyssey Original Podcast. Thank you all for being with us, Raider Nation. We hope you're feeling good after the Raiders' big win on Sunday as we roll along in this week. A reminder, we will also be back uh, for our show Thursday. We'll have a mailbag show, which I know we missed last week. Just crazy week with the Monday night. Of course, the Raiders play the Jets. Most really favorite team. On... <laughs> On Sunday Night Football. Sorry to feed that rumor. Um, and we'll talk about that matchup coming up later in the week, too. Do us a favor. If you don't already subscribe to the podcast, do so wherever you get your audio. Also, if you're watching us on YouTube, thanks for the subscription and hitting that notifications bell. We appreciate that very much. We're also on TikTok, Instagram, if that's where you like to find stuff. I'm trying to make more Instagram videos. I haven't asked Mo to do any yet. Um, but we'll see if he'll do something. I'm the Bill Belichick of social media. Well, it's all snap face to me, and that's uh, the X or Twitter. Who yeah. cares about TikTok? Uh, Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not on snap face. You got to get the monoton, the snap face. I like that. Whatever, you, whatever you kids want to call it. <laughs> Look at that. I'm older than Mo, and I do stuff on TikTok, and Mo's like, Bleh. get off my lawn. <laughs> get off my lawn. There you go. But we are back. We are talking about Raiders football. And we want to revisit a little bit of the game because we talked about the culture piece early in segment one and why this win matters so much for this franchise moving forward. It's only one win. You have to sustain it. That's for that's that's truth. But let's break down a little bit of the play on the field, Mo. First of all, you you come out, the Raiders come out, they defer the kickoff, they they hold the Giants, which isn't very difficult these days, but they do. So that's good. And remember, the defense, and we'll talk about that a little better, the defense now has given up just three touchdowns in two games, including the one to Jamar Gibbs against the Lions on Monday night. It came very late in the game after the defense had been on the field the whole game. So if you look at what this defense has been able to do, it's pretty remarkable. But let's start on the offense. And guess what? Remember, how, I, I mean, I heard you echoing in my head, Mo. It was like uh, you were screaming inside my head during the beginning of the game because I can hear on this show, got to get Josh Gabe, Jacobs going, got to get Josh Jacobs going. Last year, beginning of the season, when Josh McDaniel still had his thumb up his ass, it was like, why aren't you using Josh Jacobs? Why aren't you using Josh Jacobs? So guess what? Guess what the new staff does? They use Josh Jacobs, and guess what happens? Hmm, he starts to break through. He feels confident. Uh, obviously, removing the cancer from the body helped, but Josh Jacobs early on set the tone. You had a rookie quarterback. So this was a dual important point, which is not only did you get Josh Jacobs going, give him the confidence that you believe in him and that he is the man on that offense, but then you took some of the pressure off Aiden O'Connell in his first start as a true starter, not starting because of an injury, he was named the starter. So you take off that pressure. And so the game planning, that's what, it was amazing because I just sat back after the first couple series and I, I just kind of smiled. I'm like, amazing. Using your talent, making sure you set up your people for success. And that all started with Josh Jacobs. So I'll go in a little deeper because there are things that I noticed. If we were talking about the play calling and the totality of the office, the game planning. There are three things I noticed that other Raider fans also noticed. Mm -hmm. One, if you're really into film and technical stuff, a lot of film guys pointed this out. Raiders, a lot of zone blocking zone schemes, blocking. zone block running. So 
Josh Jacobs. It wasn't man. It wasn't a body on body, man on man. So you have a zone blocking. You have a zone running back, zone running running back, and then zone blocking scheme. Help Josh Jacobs. Should have had 100 yards, but he lost a couple of yards on <laughs> that last carry. Yeah. That put him under down to 98. I actually predicted 100 yards, two touchdowns for Josh Jacobs. Just putting that out there. Um, the other thing I noticed that a lot of other fans noticed is that Aiden O'Connell had freedom at the line of scrimmage. Did you see him making checks oh. and audibles at the line of scrimmage, which you yes. didn't see a lot of under Joshua Daniels with Derek Carr and Jared Stidham or Jimmy Garoppolo or Brian Hoyer or any quarterback that played under Joshua Daniels in Las Vegas. So Aiden O'Connell had the freedom at the line of scrimmage, which is good because he has some of that from Purdue. One of the, the positives about his draft profile was advanced quarterback in terms of recognizing coverages, reading defenses, and the Raiders let him do that on Sunday. The other thing I wanted to mention that someone else pointed out, and I I noticed it too, motions. Uh, Players in motion, just kind of window dressing, uh, giving the opposing team eye candy, which helps because that's what the Miami Dolphins are doing. If you watch the Miami Dolphins play, a lot of motions, a lot of of window dressing there. Andy Reid is known for doing this as well. You saw that with the Raiders under new offensive coordinator Bohardigree, so I think that was a welcome sign to just get a little more variety to the offense. Now, you're not going to completely scrap what Josh McDaniels had, but you can tweak some things to help your players, and you saw that early. Also, the the handoff to Jacoby Myers for that first touchdown, I I thought that was important because it showed that Bohardigree wasn't going to be conservative. He was going to go into his bag early and pull out some things that the the other team may not expect, so I like that early as well. So, Zone block running, uh, Huge. motions, uh, Aiden O'Connell at the line of scrimmage, being able to, to tweak things and change things and, and use his ability to read defenses to beat defenders was was big for me. Those are the three, four things that I saw off the bat that a lot of other fans and film guys also saw. Yes, and, and thank you for that, uh, Mr. Technical Film Guy. Um, <laughs> no, the run blocking, the run, the zone blocking was huge because you're right. The, you watch the difference just in be, in one game. In one game, you see Josh Jacobs and running. And how much was I screaming the last several weeks about get him in space, get him open, give him some room, go outside. Josh McDaniels would run the ball up the gut in either gap, and that was it. It, it, There was nothing there. It was body on body, just like you said, and it wasn't working. So why not change it? The other thing is, and I know some people are down on them, and, and maybe I'm a bit too much of a fanboy of Mike McDaniels' offense down in Miami, but you saw some, it's a copycat league. Some of the, mm. some of the stuff you saw with Jacoby Myers and Trey Tucker on Sunday was that motion on the side. It was, it was very similar to what Miami's doing, obviously not to the same extent. They don't have the talent that Miami has at wide receiver, but Trey Tucker, if you want to call him a poor man's version at this point in his career of Tariq Hill, that's what you need to do. You can do so much with mm-hmm. a guy that's versatile like that. And that's what they did. So I'm glad you noticed that because to me, that's what freed up Josh Jacobs. But the offense overall, what it was able to do was it showed different looks. Now, people got angry, Mo, in the second half. I heard it from a lot of them. We got conservative. We took our foot off the gas. You were winning 24 to nothing. Okay. And then you come out and, and you get a field goal. Primarily because of a penalty. Of course, Trey Tucker had the nice run for the first down, and they it was negated by a holding call by by uh, Michael Mayer. So they had to kick the field goal, right? So this is where this is where you have to know the the situ- game situation. Josh McDaniels is a terrible game coach. Antonio Pierce, recognizing what was going on, just went a little more conservative. That was huge for Aiden O'Connell too. He didn't feel any pressure. He didn't have to continue to drive the ball. He tried a couple times, and let's let's face it, a couple times balls were dropped. But overall, yep. you look at what happened. You got heavy doses of what the strengths of the offense were, as you just mentioned. Getting Josh Jacobs involved, getting Jacoby Myers, and, and using them in new ways. And to me, that was huge. It also, like I said, took the pressure off Aiden O'Connell. And to a man and a woman who covered the NFL, everybody was impressed. Not because he threw for C.J. Stroud-like numbers. That's a different story. He's not C.J. Stroud. He's a fourth-round young quarterback developing himself in the NFL. Um, but he did what he had to do. And most importantly, Mo, he didn't turn the ball over. And that was the thing I was looking for. Was he going to turn the ball over as much as he did in that first start? I talked about it when the Raiders should have started him against the Bears, but Josh McDaniels opted to go with Brian Hoyer. I said, the, this is a great spot for Aiden O'Connor to show what he's learned from his first start. Not turning the ball over 
and still opening up the offense, throwing downfield so that gives some space for the run game. So didn't turn the ball over, which is a great sign. No, he didn't throw for 300 yards. But as I said, the freedom that he has with the line of scrimmage is pretty impressive for a rookie in his second start. And so go ahead. Go ahead. Continue. No, sorry. Go ahead. no I was going to say, you look at you look at that to your point about making calls the line. It was funny because watching the broadcast, Mark Sanchez was almost like shocked that they were allowing him to do that. Mm-hmm. Right. He was like, oh, he's he's changing the play. He's changing the play at the line. It's like, <laughs> yeah, you could do that. Right. If you have a quarterback. And it reminds me, and I'm sorry to get all heady on you folks, but Ralph Waldo Emerson, this is a quote, and I, I have it de- on my desktop on my computer because it's a good reminder. And this is this is important when we talk about Aiden O'Connell, we talk about Josh Jacobs, we talk about the offense and what Antonio Pierce did with them. And that is, quote, trust men and they will be true to you. Treat them greatly and they will show themselves great. I.e., trust, you have to give trust. Yes, sometimes you will get burned. But at the end of the day, You have to be able to trust your guys. And the fact that they show Aiden O'Connell that much trust shows you that when they sat at the press conference and said, no, he gives us the best chance to win, they meant it. It's not even a doubt in their head. Now, he will struggle. There will be struggles, folks. Get used to that. But overall, that's what was so impressive about it. And he's so even keeled. And I know some people are like, I wish he'd get fired up. Doesn't matter. His cool, calm, collect. That's how he has veterans in his corner. That's why you saw that offensive line perform like they did yesterday. They protected him. They gave him a clean pocket. And you saw people rally around him. And I'm sorry, going back to just the preseason, he just moves the ball, man. It doesn't matter how it gets done. He moves the ball, Mo. It's funny because I had a post on the X. I said, I basically just said, this is, I said, y'all, this isn't preseason, which was. <laughs> Mocking Josh Dance, who said this, you know, why didn't you start A and O'Connor? He's like, this isn't preseason. The ironic thing about that is that Josh McDaniels does his best work in the preseason because, as we remember, Josh McDaniels was three and one this past preseason, then undefeated. Thinking the Raiders went what four and zero, four and zero, his yeah. first preseason in in, yeah. in Las Vegas. So he should be talking to himself when he says this isn't the preseason because that's when he's at his best and he turns to you know what during the regular season. But to the point, to the point, I want to make about the. The zone blocking scheme. Mm-hmm. A zone blocking scheme is best when you have athletic offensive linemen. So they have Colton Miller. If you remember the 2018 draft, he was regarded as arguably the, the most athletic offensive lineman in that class, right? Yes. From yes. out of UCLA. Dylan Parham is a former tight end. He played tight end at Memphis for a bit. So he's another athletic offensive lineman. When you have guys who can move like that, that's when the zone blocking scheme is at its best. When you have bigger offensive linemen like Trent Brown, that's when you go man on man because you just want your offensive linemen to just mull the guy in front of them. But the Raiders, they have guys who are very athletic, so that's why, again, the zone blocking scheme works. Most teams use a mix of zone man depending on the opponent, but you saw the impact or you saw the impact and influence of that, and I think you're going to continue to see Josh Jacobs average four yards per carry. They got the Jets coming up next. The Jets are another team that while they're very good on the back end with Sauce Gardner and, and DJ Reed, they're susceptible to big runs. So the, the Raiders, Josh Jacobs, will have another chance to rack up another 100 yards and a couple of touchdowns against that Jets defense. Right. And what I thought, and, and I, I posted on Sunday jokingly, was that just a slant pattern across the middle that the Raiders ran? <laughs> First it was Jacoby Myers and then the, the, the little outs, uh, out patterns to Michael Mayer. And, and they had a three tight end set, right? That, that when, when Michael Mayer did that moonwalk on the sideline. Um, so, so you saw, and, and this is what I think has bugged a lot of folks, which is the idea that the Raiders have a, a second round draft pick at tight end. Now, he's gotten much better in run blocking. He's had some trouble in the pass blocking. He had a big hold yesterday. It's going to happen. People don't realize, and I want to remind folks, and I know Mo, you and I have talked about this before. Going from college to pro as a tight end is perhaps one of the most difficult positions to get acclimated to, okay? So so anybody who expected him to just go off, and I know there's been some guys' examples where it happens, everybody, there's freaks of nature where they just clicks and they go from game one. But overall, he's improving. He's got to get better on pass blocking, which I think he will. But getting him more involved, getting those routes, giving that quarterback, Aiden O'Connell, the opportunity to distribute the ball eight different receivers on Sunday. Again, getting the ball around, people are like, well, Devontae Adams didn't give him any ball. Devontae Adams didn't care because you know why? The team was moving. Everybody was playing in their role and getting it down. Not everybody's going to get it. 
before they were they were trying to force it to Devonte Adams to try to make him shut up, uh, and and that didn't work because people knew what was going on. So you have this situation with the quarterback, and again, he's got a long way to go. We got we got eight games left, right? Before we see what this team is able to do, except nine games left. So we'll see what they're able to do. But Aiden O'Connell, to me, and we dub him, and you mentioned it earlier, we joke with people about calling him the Irish Cannon, but he has a good arm, but not a great arm. He's not a big arm guy. He's not Josh Allen. He's not going to flick at 65 yards in the air. But what he does have, he uses well. He overthrew a couple guys. Even the nice Trey Tucker 50-yard gain was a little bit overthrown, but that's why you have a guy like Trey Tucker catch up to the ball. Um, but I'm encouraged by this because young players, Mo, as you know, it doesn't matter if it's basketball, football, whatever, confidence breeds just the opportunity for them to get better and better each week. And so this win, another reason why it was so important was I think O'Connell needed that. He needed a, a game called that suits him and then he did well, like you said, at the line with audibles. And, and I think all but one case, it worked out pretty nicely for him when he did call plays at the line. What baffled me was there were a few people on the X that said, oh, Aiden O'Connell doesn't have a strong arm. And I think you remember yeah. seeing this post. I said he doesn't have an absolute cannon, but he can Correct. get the ball downfield. You saw that with the Trey Tucker throw was right. on display. But you also, if you watched the preseason, you saw it. I, I believe Warren Sharp or Sharp Football had a stat up that said Aiden O'Connell was leading all quarterbacks and in intended air yards attempted. So he was pushing the ball downfield in the preseason. So I don't know where these comments are coming from that Aiden O'Connell's arm is not strong enough to stretch defenses. It was on full display during the preseason. And again, you saw it on Sunday. Well, I think, and, and again, I, I respect all of the film analysis guys and, and the draft guys that, that go deep in all that stuff because they spend all every hour of every day of their profession doing it. So I have a lot of respect for them. But at the same time, I think that they, in a case like this, they get caught. I see a lot of parroting of what I saw in the draft previews, which is, well, he's got this and he's not real mobile. And it's like, okay, well, yeah, he's not. He's not a mobile quarterback. But um, the arm strength thing was one that they that they they hit on. But I remember, like I said, I think it was there's another Purdue quarterback who came out who would be too small, wasn't very accurate, <laughs> had some arm strength issues. I remember that guy, number nine, Drew Brees, yeah, might be in the Drew Hall Brees. of Fame, maybe. Yeah, um, maybe. So so again, how you develop because you were that's how you were paid coming out of college does not mean that it's all true. So that's where I tell people, and you're right, Mo, watch the numbers of what he actually produces at this level versus what they said about him coming out of college. I mean, look at CJ Stroud right now. I know this isn't a, this isn't a Texan show, but what was the knock on him coming out? Oh, he only showed his mobility against Georgia. He's not very mobile. He, you know, he's not going to have the same supporting cast advantage he had at Ohio state where Ohio state is basically wide receiver university with all the top, you know, recruits coming out and look at what he's doing with tank Dell who is not a first or second round pick. Look at what he's doing with Nico Collins, who's a third round pick. So I, I will say that if you tune, this is why it's important to watch the preseason. I know a lot of people tune out the preseason. I'm going to bring this back to Aiden O'Connell. If you watch the preseason, I know it's against second and third stringers a lot of times for a guy like Aiden O'Connell who's coming in, but you'll see some of the progression because there is progression with these players from their last college game to their first snap in the preseason. So right. don't forget, as you said, just to bring up your point early in the show, these guys are training nonstop. They don't just go on game day and play and that's it. They're training. They're working on their game. They're working on their mechanics. They're working on their technique, even when they're not playing, when they're practicing outside of the weight room. So you're going to get progression. You have to follow these players from time to time. And if you miss down the preseason, you miss down Aiden O'Connell's progression. Right. And I go back to the Stroud thing as well, who just, you know, I mean, Sunday set set the single game passing record for a rookie at five touchdowns. I mean, and he's got a patchwork offensive line. Exactly. <laughs> that that Texans team next year is going to be a playoff team. Jarrett, Bailey, and I were going back and forth on that because I, I agree with it. But remember, to your point, you got to watch these guys. I mean, even in college, right? So when, when we were doing our draft stuff and we both were going to the mat for the Raiders to do what they could to get up to get C.J. Stroud, which is turned out to be too much we think but obviously the guys in charge of it just got fired so who knows what happened <laughs> um but but we heard what did we hear no good quarterbacks come out of Ohio State oh he had all the wide receivers there if I had those wide receivers I could be good too mm -hmm. but you're not watching the game you could like I don't like Ohio State I'm a Notre Dame fan Ohio State Michigan to me uh, right but 
looking at him, watching him, and I think you watch Aiden O'Connell. Go back and watch his college games. Not highlight reels. Go watch parts of games. You can find them on YouTube. To your point about arm strength, dude was hitting people in stride deep down the field. So, so I, I, you know, you, you want to take a scouting report from a workout at the Combine or from senior day at uh, the Senior Bowl, wherever he was, I get that. But you got to watch guys in action when, when they're actually processing. The hardest thing for a quarterback in the NFL, Mo, is processing because it moves so fast. That's why you see some good college quarterbacks who come into the league and they're lost. They just can't keep up from a mental standpoint. They have I will physical say- skills, but they, they just can't keep up. And Aiden O'Connell so far has that processing so you know you can develop with the right coaching. You can develop the, the, the physical and the execution pieces. I will say this because not everyone has access to film and college tape. So I get that part of it. So all they can watch is what they can find on YouTube. I would say during draft time, just type in any any college prospect and you'll get guys who are breaking down film. Right. And you'll get you'll get a lot of uh, longer clips, not just highlights, as you just said, but kind of longer version of of breakdowns of their best games and their worst games. If you follow the right people. And you can kind of see what Aiden O'Connell was able to do at P- Purdue. And his issue was never arm strength. It was deep ball accuracy. Sometimes accuracy. his deep ball accuracy would be, you know, off target. And you, you kind of saw that a little bit in the preseason too. But it was never, oh, he doesn't have a strong enough arm. He can push the ball downfield. You just wanted, you just wanted him to be more accurate. And as, and as I said, now he overshot that ball to Trey Tucker, but he understood that Trey Tucker has the speed to get under it. So you're not overshooting that ball to a slower wide receiver. I think he understands that. It goes part of the, to the decision-making process and knowing your personnel and knowing your teammates. And not only that, Mo, just hooking right onto the back of your point there, which is if you're a quarterback and you're going to miss or give your receiver an opportunity to get the ball, you want to miss long. You don't want to miss short because guess what happens? <laughs> you throw an interception. interception. Which we saw, I guess, the Detroit Lions, which Jimmy Garoppolo did. Yes, we did. <laughs> yes, we did. Uh, I had people yesterday going, what is Jimmy? Is Jimmy Garoppolo the number two? I'm like, yes. <laughs> yeah. Hoyer was not active yesterday. He was the emergency yeah. guy. So, uh, but anyway, so good discussion about Aiden O'Connor. And we'll see what he's going to be. Again, it's about consistency. It's about progress. Had a nice game. I mean, he really did. And I think it's the between the line stuff that you have to pay attention to. Not the 209 yards passing, not the 64% completion rate, which is fine. Not the 90 QB rating, which is a lot higher than 9.9. First half against the Lions, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, so, so those numbers are important too, yes. But overall, the, the the ability to lead the offense, the ability to call plays at the line, switch from run to pass, pass to run, which he did effectively, I think, all but one or two, two times on Sunday. So that piece of it, we'll see what Aiden O'Connell's going to do. This is what you said weeks ago. Remember, you said, let's just see what he is. We don't know what he is. He could be a Cinderella story. The next big story in the NFL, you don't know. Or he could be just a really good backup quarterback or spot starter in the NFL. We don't know. Uh, one quick point before we move on. Let's let's remember that he did this on a short week. The Raiders played on Monday, fired their coach on Tuesday, and their offensive coordinator. Yep. So he had to do this with Two a practices. very condensed week. With a first time off with a first time offensive play caller in Bo Hardegree who hadn't called plays outside of the preseason. So while you're saying, well, he didn't throw for a bunch of yards and throw for a bunch of touchdowns, let's remember the circumstances he was in. Right. Condensed week, first time play caller. And and, and like I said, I'm not comparing you can't compare the two. They're just not the they're not even close. CJ Stroud goes out and puts up all these big numbers. That's who he is. That's where he's at. That was him all along. With, with Aiden O'Connell, you, you need to develop him. We forget in this league, those of us older remember when a quarterback was drafted and he sat for two or three years. Now, you because of the money involved, because of the hype, everybody's expected, i.e. Bryce Young, to come in on a bad, bad team, okay, because the Carolina Panthers are a terrible team, and, and light it up right away. You have to be patient with these guys. Now, am I saying give them five years? No, but give them two years to show progress. And I think with Aiden O'Connell... Like you said, two practices, all of the craziness around this franchise in the last week with a new coach calling his plays, and look what he does. So that in itself is a big deal. And he hasn't been getting, like, unlike CJ, CJ Stroud's been getting first-team reps since the preseason, since training camp. <laughs> yeah. Aiden O'Connell hasn't been getting first-team reps, except, 
minus that week against the Chargers right. and then leading up to this past game where he played well against the Giants. So he also, as he gets more first team reps, I would expect he would develop that rapport with Devontae Adams. So for the people out there worried about Devontae Adams numbers, don't be. As he gets acclimated to the offense and his teammates and his personnel, you start to see better numbers. Absolutely. And you'll, I think you're going to see them build on what worked. And mm-hmm. Aiden O'Connell, Josh Jacobs, the offensive line, Trey Tucker, Michael Mayer, Jacoby Meyer, they're all happier because they know they have a shot. They have a guy behind there who's going to run that offense well, and you have a coach who wants to open it up a little more. So that's great. All right, we're going to take our final break. When we come back, we're going to pick it up. We, we don't want to go back in the past except for we want to talk about the Jay Glazer story about Antonio Pierce's speech <laughs> at the, 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 the infamous team meeting last week that pretty much sealed the deal for Josh McDaniels getting fired. We want to talk about that as a springboard to talk about Antonio Pierce, to talk about this team, this culture, and this coach's chance to perhaps audition for the full-time role after the end of the season, if that is possible. So we'll talk about that when we come back. You're with Mo and Scott. This is Silver and Black Today. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Silver and Black today, the Tuesday edition as this victory week for those of you in Raider Nation rolls on here on Silver and Black today, an Odyssey original podcast. Your hosts, he is Mo Moten. He is the senior NFL writer over at Bleacher Report. Also Raiders columnist at sportsnot.com. I am Scott Colbranson, your co-host. I am also a writer and editor over at sportsnot.com where you can catch all work. You can follow Mo on x.com at M-O-E-M-O-T-O-N. I am at L-V Gully. The show is S-N-B Today. You can find us anywhere you want to find us. The question is, do we want you to find us? Yes, we appreciate you guys being there. Without you, we don't have this show, so thank you so much for that. We got our latest, and I, you know, this is where we got to do a little victory lap, Mo. I mean, you know, we're humble guys, but the show is doing really well on the Odyssey Sports Network, Right. We are our kicking booty, um, number three in the NFL still, right? Number mm-hmm. five in the network when it comes to sports in general. I mean, we're just we're just rolling, baby. And this is with a Raider team that was struggling for the first, <laughs> yes, eight, you know, eight weeks to score points. So yes, that's all. That's all fan power. That's all Absolutely. you watching and listening, downloading the show, hitting the auto download button. That's all, y'all. We, we're just up here breathing into microphones. You guys and gals out there, move the numbers. <laughs> yes, and, and, and it, that's, what, that's the point I was going to make too, Mo. Is it is because of the listeners. Raider Nation, just, it, it goes to show the power of the fan base in Raider Nation because the fact that we are, are ahead of national podcasts that talk about sports and teams that are doing really well, <laughs> right? Now, the Eagles podcast is number one in our network, and they, of course, they just continue to roll. The company's also based in Philly. The guys in the Philly podcast are on the radio in Philly, so they, they have a lot going for them, and they're great. They're amazing. It's an amazing show. But the fact that Raider Nation makes this show where it stands in the network is, is it just blows me away. So thank you all for being there. Really quick, someone yeah. asked me on the X, you know, with the Raider, but this is before the Josh McDaniels firing. Someone asked me, do people, do fans really care about what happens with the Raiders this season? And I said, they may be disappointed. They may be frustrated with the direction of the franchise, but fans still care. They still want to know what's going to happen next with their football team. And I, you know, I see it in my mentions all the time. People asking questions, people listening to our show. The numbers show it. Fans still care regardless of what the Raiders record looks like or the roster. Yes. And, and for example, we did our, which was beset by some technical issues because because Murph was in the parking lot at Allegiant Stadium. And the microphones weren't working. So apologies for the podcast quality uh, on Monday morning, if you listened to that on Monday morning or, or watched us on video. Um, but at first, you know, our numbers, like I was watching the n- number of people who came on live and watched us. And I was like, man, it's a little lower than the last couple of weeks when, when the Raiders were really looking terrible. And I'm like, does is it really negativity drives more? And then it kind of caught up, right? So people got in. I think they were enjoying themselves after the win, frankly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah now it's live. They were celebrating a little more instead of wanting to go vent right after the game. Uh, but it all worked out, which is good. But yes, everybody wants their team to do well. I mean, you don't, I know some, oh, tank for this, tank for that. But nobody wants their team 
to be the laughing stock of the NFL. That doesn't feel good. Because then when you tell people, well, what's your favorite team? Uh, no. Raider Nation's not like that. They're very proud. So thank you again for all of that. All right. This last segment, Bo, we want to talk about um, Antonio Pierce. We want to talk about his opportunity here and, and, and the changes we saw. But we got to take a step back because Sunday, the big bombshell dropped. Jay Glazer, he always has one big one every Sunday on Fox Sports. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he drops the story about the team meeting last week. And how Josh McDaniels let the players air their grievances, and then he let coaches speak too. And in a nutshell, and then you'll get to the importance of this, and if I miss something, call me on it. In a nutshell, he heard, obviously, a lot of criticism of him from the players, a lot of discontent. Then he heard from the coaches, one of which was Antonio Pierce, who got up and and talked about a team coming together and believing in one another and building that culture, okay? And he used the example of his Giants team that beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl who happened to have an offensive coordinator at the time whose name was Josh McDaniels. <laughs> so he used this as an example, right? So any level-headed person, you know, I work for company A, I go to work for company B. We want to beat company A, even though it's my old company, right? I, they were good to me. They paid me well. I learned a lot there. But now I'm with company B, and that's my loyalty, well, apparently not for Josh McDaniels, who admonished Antonio Pierce for mentioning the Patriots and the fact that the Giants beat him and using that as his example, which is a different level of pettiness and, tyr- and tyrannic activity that it just blew me away. And that's why it was such a big story. So, Mo, now I'm going to turn it over to you because I know you have some huge points to make here about the story and what it means. If I'm Mark Davis, if my white windbreaker getup outfit, Raider, Raidered out, right? And I'm hearing this, that Josh McDaniels was upset with Antonio Pierce for bringing up the 2007 Giants beating the undefeated Patriots to motivate my players in the locker room. I am steaming mad, simply because Josh McDaniels, I understand you with the Patriots organization for, you know, how many decades, but you're a Raider head coach now. This is your assistant trying to motivate your players and you're defending the Patriots. Like that was like you, you had to put that in the past. As I said, you were hired by the Raiders to be their head coach, not to get in there and defend the Patriots. Like, I don't I don't understand that. I, it, you know, a lot of people disputed the validity of J- Jay Glazer's story. And I will say Jay Glazer is one of the well-respected NFL insiders. He would not fabricate or lie about that. And I could see it from a Josh McDaniel saying, don't talk about it. He's, he basically said, and I'm, you know, saying what Jay Glazer said, Josh McDaniels told Antonio Pierce, don't talk to the Patriots, don't talk about the Patriots that way. And I saw that speech as not a disrespect to the patriots but a way to motivate your place to say hey we can establish our own culture and anytime we step on the field we have to believe that we're better than the opponent no josh mcdaniels took it as a shot at the patriots and to me as you said it's another level of pettiness it's another level of small-mindedness it's the it's it's being unaware missing the entire point of the speech and as i said if i'm the owner of that team I'm, if I'm hearing that, I'm thinking yeah. that's a that's a fireable offense. You don't Absolutely. come in our you don't come into our headquarters and defend an opponent that you used to coach for. You yeah, they don't coach pay you the anymore. Raiders, right? You coach the Raiders right now. It's all about the Raiders. He took the Patriot way way over over the line on that one. I understand yeah. he's trying to implement what he had in New England, but you don't go into Raiders headquarters. And and basically chide your assistant for 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 trying to make a point to your players and defend your prior organization, your yeah. former organization. Excuse me, but it's to me that that's a fireable offense in itself because it's, it should be all about the Raiders and how to help your football team, not defending your former organization. Yes, exactly. And and again, look, personality wise, we've talked about it on this show too. And you said, hey, who did he learn from? He learned from Belichick. The difference is. He's clearly not as smart or and as effective as a leader as Belichick. All of the statements, the Patriot stuff you heard, put in the work, those are all Belichick-isms. The problem is Belichick 
had a way to do it and to get guys to buy in. Now, they didn't always like him, but they still found he did it in a way. He had a style and an approach that got players on the same page and believing. And he had Tom Brady. He had Tom Brady, who also, as a leader, no matter what you think of Tom Brady, obviously got guys into a position to where they believed in what was going on. And I think he was also um, a, a mediator in that, right? So to me, that's why this story was so big. And you're absolutely right. It, it sealed his fate. Then, Mo, the part that you left out or we didn't talk about yet, I shouldn't say you left out, was that after that meeting, they go to practice and the rest of the way through the Detroit game, and he's given everybody the cold shoulder. His, they said he changed. You could vis visibly see him change. So he got a dose of, it's you, brother. And instead of being introspective and looking at it and say, you know what? Maybe I don't agree with all of it, but I got to take a look at myself. What can I do better? I do better to set this team up for success. Instead, he acts like a 12-year-old who's upset that they got their video games taken away, right? <laughs> and that sh tells you everything. You, at, at age 47, with the experience he has, if that's your reaction, you have no business being around a football team, let alone running one, okay? So, so that is without question just the most unbelievable, I mean, not unbelievable, but the most believable story that you'll see about what, why this guy can't succeed. It's not that he doesn't know offense, he clearly does, but he can't lead that way. And it almost brought down, um, I think, this franchise from a, in a very significant way. If Mark Davis wouldn't have acted, they could have got a lot worse. Ian Rappaport, his words were, the meeting broke Josh McDaniels. And basically, during Thursday's practice, he went into a shell. He wasn't correcting players because, you know, practice is for correcting mistakes and working on things. Basically, Ian Rapport said, wasn't correcting players, letting things slide, letting things go, and just as you, being very passive-aggressive. And I will say this. You cannot be a, an effective passive-aggressive leader. That's that. Those two things just don't mix when it comes to efficiency and being an, an effective leader. You can't hold things in and be defensive and be a leader because part of being a leader is being proactive and understanding faults. And as you said, introspectiveness and saying, okay, I have to look in the mirror and fix things. I, 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 me, me, me. Right. Not me as in selfish me, but I have to take self-accountability. And we talked about the press conferences, right? And, and the point about the press conferences is players listen. We You may not listen to all the press conferences because you may say, oh, Joshua Taylor is not going to tell you anything, but players listen. And they're listening to see if you're going to take responsibility or accountability for some of the mistakes you made during these games. But if you're constantly deflecting and saying, no, this was the issue, you know, we have to execute better. We, the other team did this. They're looking, the players are listening to that and saying, what about you, Josh? So when they had that team meeting and he opened the floor up to everyone and he said, well, let's talk about the issues. The players and coaches said, well, let's start with you, Josh McDaniels, because you are the biggest problem here. And then when he <laughs> got that full dosage of you have to be accountable for your mistakes, he couldn't handle it. And that's not a leader. That's just not, not a leader. Not only could he not handle, but the other thing, too, that hasn't propped up here, but but again, and and I'm, I want to make this clear that I'm making these assumptions. So this is on me. Nobody's reporting this. But I also think based on what we heard in those press conferences through this stretch with Josh McDaniels, too, which I know probably irked the players, was he played favorites, right? So Jimmy Garoppolo performs poorly, will not criticize him. And again, I'm not saying you go throw your player fully under the bus and just say he's terrible. I'm not saying that. There's nuanced ways, including ways he could see Bill Belichick do it, where you talk about, hey, quarterback's not performing um, and and it's a problem, right? You acknowledge the problem and say, yes, he's part of the problem. He's not the whole problem. We got other things wrong here too, but he's part of the problem. He needs to do X, Y, and Z. Instead, what was it? Well, that's a bunch of little things. No, that's a bunch of little things. No, Jimmy, you know, yeah, he's got to protect the ball, but 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 we, we're making mistakes all over. Well, no, you have to call call it out for what it is. And I think too that war on people as well. So here's a guy, and the quarterback's the most most important position in the NFL. Excuse me. And you 
are not acknowledging that you have a major problem there. Because when you had a chance to start your rookie, you start a guy who's way over, way washed out and, and doesn't give you any chance to win. So there was that too. So this all coupled together, you can see why this team, I don't know how good this team can be, Mo. I just don't know because under that type of leadership, you were never going to get good results. Now they have new leadership and the results are better in one game, but now the key is to be consistent. I will say it's a better team than we saw in the first eight weeks in the season. Absolutely, 100%. In every possible way, right? And mm-hmm. the defense has now continued a, a four-week stretch of progress and getting better. Still need to make some more push up the middle, but boy, I still believe, and, and of course need more production out of the other end, but, but I still believe that that is a really good sign. They need some more talent. They have some good talent that they can get more out of. And we'll see that. But let's let's now delve into the Antonio Pierce because everybody's fired up about Antonio Pierce. They love him. Media loves him because it's mostly former players in the media now. And he gets players, which you and I, we can't. We didn't play in the NFL. We can't relate on that level. So so the fact that you have a coach who can do it doesn't mean that that is the key to success and that will make you successful. There are a lot of other things included here. But you look at some of the numbers again. If you look at Raiders coaches – that had a 20 plus point wins over the last 20 seasons, 20 seasons. So going back to 2001 or 2003, excuse me, three Tom Cable in 44 games had four 20 plus point wins. John Gruden in 53 games, one 20 plus win Jack Del Rio, 44 games as well. One North Turner in 32 games, one and Antonio Pierce in one game has a 20 plus point win. So, you know, again, I know numbers, you can manipulate them all you want, but that was pretty impressive. I also look at um, um, the other stat I had here, which I'll get to in a minute, but Antonio Pierce, right guy, right moment. Rich Passaccia was the same way as far as when all that stuff went down in 2021, he was Johnny on the spot. He kept the team together. He rallied the troops and they had a nice little run towards the end of that and made the playoffs. Antonio Pierce, he's, he's auditioning here, Mo, and, and he doesn't have a lot of experience coaching. Yes, he was at Arizona State and coached high school, all that stuff. But at the NFL level, being a head coach, not so much. But he's got people believing. He's got the players believing. So he is the right guy at the right time. What do we need to see over the next eight games that will show that he is the right guy moving forward, i.e. as a permanent head coach? I think you have to start with the Raiders finishing with a winning record. So if the Raiders go, what is it, 6-3 and three under Antonio Pierce, it would be. They're 1-0 right now under him. Then that starts the conversation of do we bring him back because you took a team that was 3-5, and five, under 500, and you got them to a winning record. And usually 9-8, and eight, you're vying for a playoff spot. So that means the Raiders were at least in contention for a playoff spot by the end of the year when the second half of the schedule gets a little more difficult than the first half of it. So I think six and three is where you start the conversation. If the Raiders make the playoffs, definitely. He he has a, a real shot at that point, obviously, if the Raiders make the playoffs. Because, as I said, it's human nature to self-correct after making a, a mistake, right? Sure. So the Raiders got to the playoffs under Ritz Passage. I know a lot of people say it was the COVID year or other teams had injuries and the Raiders snuck in through the back door. I get that. But what the Raiders had with Rich Passaccia was a lot better than what they got with Josh McDaniels. And I think it's human nature to for Mark Davis to look at that and say, well, I had an interim head coach who got us to the playoffs and the players responded to that interim head coach and, and vouched for him because reports came out that players vouched for Rich Passaccia. If that happens again, I'm not going to make that same mistake and go in another direction unless there's this candidate that I absolutely want that's available. Right. So I, I think, with again, the conversation starts at 6-3 and three if the Raiders have a winning record. It bumps up if the Raiders obviously make the playoffs. And, and it goes without saying, if they win a playoff game, they win their first playoff game in how long, he, he's probably going to get the job if they win a playoff game. Now, a lot of people say, oh, that's a low bar to, to scale. But as I said, when is the last time the Raiders won a playoff game? So, and I, it, I, I think Mo, but, it's a high bar because I mean, again, where this team is at and you look at the rest mm-hmm. of the AFC now, it's a long season. We see the San Francisco 49ers really struggling, mm-hmm. right? Which some of us saw because of the quarterback thing. But then you look at the Dolphins struggling. You look at the Bills lose on Sunday night to the Bengals again. 
So you never know what's going to happen, but to get to the playoffs as an interim coach with a team that was below 500 when you took over because the other guy got fired, that's a big task. And I think what people are going to say, because a lot of what I've been seeing um, from former players, from fans, from some in the media has been, this guy's a Raider. He grew up in Compton. He's, he loves the Raiders. This is a guy who gets us. And, and I don't disagree. I think he has all the intangibles that you would want to lead your team, right? But the big but here becomes, you, it's a results business. So you have to show. Now, if he goes, uh, and, and like you said, goes six and three, gets in the playoffs, makes gets a, a playoff win, and this team performs well, and Aiden Connell, O'Connell develops nicely to the point by the end of the season, you're like, boy, this guy's a starting quarterback in the NFL too. I'm not putting that all on him. But if that stuff happens, then yes. But I just want people to realize, I think, and again, I don't want to be the wet blanket, that it's a long road, right? It's a long road, but I, I just want to say that one thing that Antonio Pierce has working for him is he doesn't have to call plays. And I say that works in his favor because yes. all he has to Very do true. is be a leader in that locker room. So you're not judging him on, you know, how's the offense performing? That's Bo Hardigree. You're not judging him how the defense is performing. You know, he has a defensive background. That's Patrick Cramps. All he has to do is focus on rallying his guys and being a CEO type head coach. So all he's worried about is the bottom line. How many wins do the Raiders get? while he's the interim head coach. And that will dictate how strong his candidacy is going to be in the offseason. So I look at Antonio Pierce and people say, well, he has no experience. He hasn't. He, he's not a play caller. He doesn't need to do that. No. Because all he's asked to do is come in and be the head coach. And he has the, as you said, he has the intangibles. It's very clear that the players will rally behind him. Now, going back to that Jay Glazer story, after Antonio Pierce brought up his anecdotal about the Giants in 2007 being the Patriots, Jay Glazer said it was clear that there was a divide in the locker room and players were starting to side with Antonio Pierce. So they're gravitating toward a leader, and they identify yes. that leader. Now, I made that point on the X that it's not a coincidence that that Antonio Pierce was chosen to be the interim head coach. They didn't just pick a name out of a hat and Antonio Pierce just won the lottery here. I'm sure players had input. I believe there's a story in the athletic that said the players talked to Mark Davis. Yeah. And it was it was kind of I'm using the word unanimous, but it was very clear that Antonio Antonio Pierce had the leadership skills to lead this team out of what was under Josh McDaniels. So all he has to do, be a CEO type of head coach, worry about the bottom line. How many wins do we end up with? If it's nine or ten, has a good chance to hold on to that job. Yes, yes. And I just, I, I guess I'm trying to get to a place because I know there were a lot of people who still go back to, well, if they should have hired Bisacci, would have avoided this. And that, while that's true, that does not dictate that Rich Bisacci would have been successful long term as the mm -hmm. long term answer for the, the, the Raiders at head coach. Yeah, the other thing I want to make a point is a lot of people are drawing parallels between Bisacci taking over and Antonio Pierce taking over. And I will say that the, the the one similarity is they both had to take over for a full-time head coach in their interims. Yes. There's a big difference, though, because remember, Basacha had a, a veteran quarterback in Derek Carr. Basa uh, Antonio Pierce, although he's not calling, play calling plays, he has a rookie quarterback. <laughs> so I believe Antonio Pierce's road to a winning record and keeping his job is a little more difficult because, as I said, he's not calling plays, so he's not responsible for the offense. So you can't give him credit for that. But he also has a rookie quarterback who's learning on the job and a first-time offensive play caller. Greg yeah. Olson took over calling plays under Rich Passaccia, and Greg Olson's been around the league for how long? Forever. He's been an offensive coordinator before. So there's a lot of inexperience with Antonio Pierce's group. So it's going to be a lot more difficult for him. So I see the similarities in the interim tag, but there are big differences there. Yeah, and I'm rooting for the guy. I mean, I, lo I love leaders like Antonio Pierce, and and he's likable. He's rallied these yeah. guys, and and I appreciate the position he's in and the job he's doing. But mm -hmm. you look at the stats, since 2000, interim coaches, okay, out of all the interim coaches, uh, only, only three made appearances in playoffs. Only, uh, only three had winning records as interim coaches. Uh, the, the most successful interim coach was Jason Garrett in Dallas. He went 80 and 64 and, and went on to be in, in three playoffs. So, so the hill is high. It's just, it has not in the history of the NFL since the year 2000, the last 23 years, when interim coaches take over and then they get the job on a full-time basis. Now, situations are all different and these are different guys, 
Not saying it's not possible, but the numbers indicate that it just hasn't worked that way, hasn't worked out in the long term when they have gotten full-time jobs. Maybe this is the first time uh, since Jason Garrett that the that that changes. We'll have to see. But but it's going to get down to consistency and progress if he's going to have a shot at this. But I say he has a legitimate shot because we don't I know do what the second Absolutely. half of the season is going to look like. I would say, as I said, if he he's able to get them to nine and eight, ten and seven, and of course a playoff spot and a playoff win, the first playoff win in twenty plus years, he absolutely has a legitimate shot. And I think a report came out that Mark Davis is going to take a long look at him and put him in consideration. He, he's, as you said, he's auditioning right now. So yeah. all I could say is, you take it one week at a time. But I think the bar starts at nine and eight, nine and eight, and then in a playoff spot. And, and you're right. Anything can happen. And I, we talk about the difficulty of the schedule. They go to Miami and then they play Kansas City. Kansas City's defense is pretty dang good. Their mm-hmm. offense uh, has fallen off a lot. So it gives you a chance if you can if you can outscore them a little bit, which is a little easier than in past years. So so anything – and that's why I said even before the Detroit game, I said, hey, man, it's a week-by-week league. You just never know what's going to happen. So, so I know everybody's rooting for Antonio Pierce. And um, certainly would be a great personality to have that. He's a straight shooter. I love that. I love that he's like that with his players. He's like that with the media. He's like that with fans. Uh, and that's something that this this organization could use moving forward. So we'll see how it all ends up. I'll give you the last word here before we wrap the show up, Mo. A lot of fans were in my Bleach Report live stream Sunday night, and they said he re- he reminds them of Mike Tomlin with his mannerisms and how he uh, talks to the media at, at these pressers. And I think that's the type of – not that he has to be Mike Tomlin 2.0, but I think that's the type of leader that the Raiders need as a head coach after what they had with Josh McDaniels for a year and a half. And again, right place, right time. I mean, not that he's not talented and doesn't deserve this opportunity, but he's the right guy. Like he's the mm-hmm. right guy with the personality, mm-hmm. relates to players because he is mm-hmm. one. And that mm-hmm. – so significantly changes things for the guys in the locker room. And you saw that with all the, the videos and everything this week, including the, the cigar smoking after the, the win <laughs> celebrating. So all good there. Uh, Mo, what do you got coming up? It's Tuesday now. I know we'll be back here on the show for Thursday and Friday with the mailbag. But what do you got in between? Wednesday, 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. I'll have a Bleacher Report live stream uh, topic to be announced. It'll be a positive show because obviously the Raiders are coming off their first win under <laughs> interim head coach Antonio Pierce. So be tuned for that. I also have another Sports Night piece coming up on Thursday. Again, topic to be announced. I like to give people surprises so they, so they continue to tune in and follow what I'm doing. So I don't want to give it away too early. But again, it's going to be an uplifting week. Big game against the Jets coming up on Sunday night football. All of a sudden, that becomes an interesting game. Because like I said, both these teams probably will be vying for a wild card spot down, down the stretch. So this tiebreaker game is going to be very important coming up. It will be. It'll be a, a good one. And I think the team keep rushing up to it, you know, having the Jets are going to have the short week because they played on Monday night. And uh, so there's a little bit of an advantage and they're playing at home and the Raiders, I think, you know, from, from Murph's estimate, 70% Raider fans in that stadium against the Giants and the Giants tra- travel pretty well. The Jets should travel pretty well. It's a weekend trip to Vegas. So, um, but Raider fans showed out. Ticket prices are down right now. Maybe they'll go back up this week. We'll see. But uh, that's all a good sign for this Raiders team. So, all right, buddy, we will, we will talk to you again on Thursday. For for our family and friends listening to this who will be traveling to the Raiders Jets game, behave yourself at Allegiant Stadium. Don't wreck the stadium. Oh, right, staff, I know a lot of people that will be traveling to that game. It's going to be fun. Good man, I appreciate you, brother. I'll see you. I'll see you on Thursday. All right, for everybody here at Silver and Black today, we appreciate you being with us. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your audio. And also, if you're watching us on YouTube, hit that subscribe and the notification bell so you know every time we have a new video. For our producer, Mike Robier, for Momoton, I am Scott Branson. We will see you on Thursday, Raider Nation. Thanks for being with us.